0: We exist to come alongside people who are hurting, who are broken, who are messed up, to come alongside them and give them love and to give them grace and to give them encouragement until they can rise above it and walk on that path on their own. We are Pathway Church, located in Burleson, Texas. We worship together, we serve together, and we grow together. Good morning, everybody. So glad you're here, man. I feel the energy. I feel the spirit of God moving. If you came here for the very first time, or joined us online for the first time, you're at True Worth or the Bridge for the first time. We want to welcome you. Uh, My name is Rick. I'm one of the pastors on staff, and it's a privilege to be with you here uh, in this way this morning. If you are new, I'd love to meet you. I'll be out in the crossing. If you're here in the space, Uh, if you're online, please type in there. Hey, I'd like to connect with somebody. Somebody will get with you early, even if not right now. They'll do it tomorrow or the very next day. We, we do want to connect with you and make sure you feel welcome, have a good experience this morning. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and find them. Get ready to get settled in wherever you are. Uh, we're going to be all over in the Scriptures this morning. I will just tell you, we put a lot of stuff on the screen. You're not going to be able to turn fast enough to keep up with all the different places that we are going. When you walked in, you should have got a little card. If you did not get a card, just kind of very gently raise your hand where you are. Somebody bring to you. It looks kind of like this. Uh, We're in a message series. We're calling The Perfect Fit. And we're asking everyone to do a personal evaluation over four weeks about four different areas of their life. So you need one of these cards. It'd be helpful to you. And this is between you and God and nobody else. Uh, You'll have a little fill in the blank there if you want. Then at the end of each section, I'm going to invite you to kind of say, okay, I dabble in this or I'm devoted to this. If you weren't here or you did not connect last week, I'd encourage you to go back, listen online. Uh, I think it might help you understand the concept of dabbling and devoted a little bit more. We spent a lot of time laying that foundation, but you can probably get the concept pretty quick. Now, this morning, uh, we are talking about uh, financial fitness. Uh, Very important subject. Very sensitive subject for many. And I think it'd be wise if we opened uh, with a word of prayer. And we we, we come to open up your book, to see what you have to say to help us become financially fit in our lives, God, and because we know that impacts every area of our existence, our marriage, our parenting, uh, the pressure, the, our, our emotions, God. And God, we learn in your word it really impacts our relationship with you on how spiritually and relationally fit we are with you. So, so teach us, God, and open our eyes, and we pray there'll be healing for someone. I ask you to do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, here in the DFW area, if if you're watching online, you may not live in the metroplex, but I want you to know about the DFW area is that we live in a place where venture capitalism and entrepreneurship and startups are everywhere. And so financially, it'd be very easy for anyone who lives around here in our area, and there's other areas of the world where it's the same way, to think that you are the only one who doesn't understand money. Everybody else understands finance and money but you. Everybody else has their house paid off but you. Everybody else understands the stock market. Everybody else has their, their, their retirement number but you. It's so easy to think that you're the only one who's feeling the anxiety and the weight and the pressure, the confusion about money and where it's going and how you do it to get to where you need to be. Now, I read a little stat here this past week that says in the United States of America, on average, that that most of us believe in the United States of America that if you don't have a net worth of around $2 million, you're not going to be comfortable, uh, you're not in a good position in your life. I read in California, particularly San Francisco or L.A., that number is $6 million. Church, that is just crazy. That is just crazy. And some of you are under so much pressure. So much anxiety and prayer when it comes to this issue. And I want to kind of level the playing field here, okay? I want to level the playing field. So you know it's just not just you that's feeling some, some of this stuff. So here, I'm going to ask some questions. I'm going to ask a few questions. When I get to the end of, of this series of questions, if, this, if any of these things fit you, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand if you're in the house. And if you're online, kind of put raise your little hand over there on the chat or something. Yeah, that's me. Or that's me. So get ready. So here we go. If... If you've ever worried about saving, that you've not saved enough, or you didn't start soon enough. If you've ever worried about your retirement, that you don't know what your number is, and you really should have started about 10 years ago on getting ready for your retirement. If you've ever worried about that you don't or you don't own a house, you, don't, you haven't bought a house, you don't have a mortgage, and you don't know if you'll ever be afford to get into the housing market, or if you've got into a house, You don't know if you can afford the house. Have you got more house than you really need or you can afford? If you ever worried about your kids, that your kids just don't understand money? that your kids don't get money, that your kids live in a time when they get older, there's not going to be enough money. They're always going to be coming to you asking for help for money. If you're someone who's always uh, been worried about your health care, about your health plan, not knowing if it's good enough or going to be good enough or you're going to be okay with it, if you're someone who is worried that you've blown your budget, if you're someone who's worried that you've never blown a budget because you've never had a budget, (laughs) If you are someone who is always worried about the economy, you don't understand the stock market, you don't understand the culture, you don't understand. If you're someone who's worried during an election cycle about who's going to become president, because if they win, you think I'm in trouble. If you're somebody who's thinking if either Canada wins, we're all in trouble. Okay. If you are anyone who's ever worried about any of those things at all, would you please raise your hand? Would you please look around? You are not the only one who felt the weight and the anxiety and the pressure of finances things just pressing down upon you. You're not the only one. And the good news is God doesn't want you to live your life that way. It doesn't have to be that way. In fact, God wants you to be able to manage well this financial part of your life. In fact, here in Proverbs 31, there is a woman that is praised. Oh, she is highly praised. And in part, she is highly praised because of her financial acumen. It says here in verse 16, she considers a field, and she buys it. Out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She invests in a vineyard. She works hard. She works vigorously, the Scripture says. Her arms are strong for the task. She sees her trading is profitable. She's making money. It's profitable. Wouldn't everybody like to be profitable? And then it goes on to say uh, that she, her lamp does not go out at night. I mean, she's always working. In her hands, she holds it staff. She grasps the spindle with her fingers. She opens her arms to the poor. She's very generous. She extends her hands to the needy. And when it snows, she has no fear for her household. Now, I will tell you, um, I'm... The, I I rarely get to see my wife sitting right here, and she didn't like me doing this right here on the front. Usually she's at the back. But I'll tell you, this could be my wife. This could be her. But this could be, except for the snow part. She hates it when it snows. Uh, She's not going out when it snows. But this could be her. And the scriptures talk about how good it is when you're financially solid in your life. Now, church, I I know there's some of you here right now. You're thinking, uh, this is just, this is not for me. In fact, I wish you would pray so I could sneak out. (laughs) But here's what I'm going to promise you. When we talk about this subject, there is somebody who experiences healing and hope like they never had before. Because there's people sitting around you right now that are really feeling the angst about this area of their life. But to relieve the shame and the guilt, I want you to turn to the person next to you to help them, to help them feel a little bit better about being here. Because some people are feeling real guilty and shameful about the finances. I want you to turn to them and say, hey, this message is for me. Turn to the person next to you and say, this message is for me. Take the pressure off them, okay? Now, if you're online, you gotta do the same thing. Now, Now, because the person on the other side of you feels a little bit ignored right now, turn to them and say, well, say, this message is for me, but you need it more, okay? Yeah, because they just think they don't need it, right? And there's some of you here who think you don't need it. You think, I don't need this message. And I will tell you, I'm going to get as basic and basic as basic as we can. I want this to be a place where we play no games. If you're looking for a game-playing church, you came to the wrong place. I want people to come here where you can be open and honest and real about the stuff you're experiencing in your life, and that's especially true on this issue. And I will tell you right now, I have not done this in a while, not done this teaching in a while, and I'm going to get as basic as basic can be. We're doing finance one-on-one, money one-on-one, not 201, not 301, not 501. And somebody right near us, a pastor, when it's all over, you go, man, I should have taught that. I mean, I know it better than he do. You probably do know it better than I do. But I promise you right here, right now, you may not need it, but there's somebody who love does. And you need to learn something so you can come along with somebody you love and help them get out of it. Or somebody that loves you. Maybe it's a kid. Maybe it's a grandkid. Maybe it's a neighbor. Somebody you work with. So I'm going to ask you to be open as we get really basic here about getting fit financially. Again, very basic. Here we go. Number one here in your notes. Let's work on this. Get your card ready. We'll get to this here in in a second. I'll help you evaluate yourself. Here's the first one. If you're going to be financially fit, you got to have a realistic budget, a realistic budget. And I will tell you, the Bible talks about this more than people realize. Over here in Proverbs chapter 24, we're going to look at Verse, uh, let me find the right one, verse 27. It says, put your outdoor work in order, then get your fields ready, after that, build your house. I want you to notice two categories and two sequences in this verse. First, outdoor work, then get your fields ready, after that, then you build your house. Two categories, two sequences, very basic concept about living in the budget. Now, just financially speaking, so everybody's basic understanding. Financially, there's two ways that money flows. This is finance 101. Money flows towards you, that's income. Money flowing away from you is an expense. If you have more money flowing to you than you have flowing away from you, you're going to be in good shape wherever you are in your life. If you have more money flowing away from you than you have flowing to you, you're going to be in trouble. And that's why some of you are in trouble. You've not learned the understanding of living in a realistic budget. Now, in the ancient world, think about this verse, right? In the ancient world, it was an agricultural society. A field in the ancient world was considered an asset, it was income-producing. A house in the ancient world, listen, a house in the ancient world was income-consuming. It was considered a liability in the ancient world. Now, just, just think about this. In our present time, don't give me an answer, but in the present time, do we consider a house a liability or an asset? Just like You think you know the answer. Let it kind of sit there. Do we consider a house a liability or an asset? Now, I found this this Yale economist, his name is Robert Schilling, who won a Nobel Prize on the subject of money. And he did a research project from 1890 to 2012, 122 years, on how much a house had accrued an expense and value over that time, adjusting to inflation. So let me ask you, adjusting to inflation for 122 years how much do you think actually, actually, market to market, income to income, inflation, how much did a house actually increase in value, the average house over 122 years? If you think you know, turn to the person next to you and tell them. If you think your financial acumen is so smart, you've got to turn here and tell, tell them what you think. Just guess. Just make a guess. All right. Everybody got it online? Have you guessed online? Okay, here it is. This is Robert Schilling, Yale economist, not me, Robert. Zero percent. Did not increase it all actually when you consider inflation over the course of time. Now, why do I share that with you? Because we have so many people who think the golden ticket is I gotta get into a house in a certain level of house, of no matter what. I gotta get, because if I get into that house, that house, the perfect house, that house there, my live forever house, then can someone tell me what happened in 2008? In 2008, the housing market went boom, and you had scores of people in trouble because they bought more than they can afford, than their budget could, and they just took a tumble. In fact, Robert Schilling did this little little look at from 2008, 2007, and 8 to 2011, the housing market went down $17 trillion in value, and people lost their shirt. Now, why am I bringing this up right now? Because we have so many young adults who are worried that they've got to get into the financial housing market. And houses, we all know, you're paying $15,000, $20,000 more than the value to get into it, and you're doing that, and you're thinking this is your guaranteed golden ticket to financial security in your future. And I'm telling you, maybe not. Now, I know some of you have flipped houses, made a lot of money on houses. That's your gig. You go do it. My job here is to be a Bible teacher, and there's no guarantee. What does the Scripture say? Get your outdoor work in order first. Get your fields ready. Know how much income you have coming in. Then you build your house based on what you can afford, not based on what you want and you think is going to take care of your future. Live into a realistic budget. Jesus is very familiar with this idea. Jesus uses the money illustration all the time to teach very important points. Over here in Luke chapter 14, there's a story. He says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower, a watchtower, agricultural economy. You build towers out in your fields to look over your, flo- your fields and your flocks. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? I'm proud to say that is the very first thing that your session did before we ever started this project back here over my shoulder, which we move into here sometime in the fall. We went, we canvassed the church, checked about your interest, about your willingness to participate. Many of you made these commitments. Then we sat down with bankers. We brought in outsiders from the outside. They looked at our books. They audit. They check it out. We got financial instruction from from lending agencies. Had nothing to do with us. Look at our situation to assess. Can we afford it? Can you do it? On the front end, we did that. If you lay the foundation and you're not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Now, I know This example is a metaphor for the cost of following Jesus. But I want you to notice something. Jesus is talking about the cost of following him, but he uses a basic biblical wisdom concept to teach that. On a budget, you know your income first and your cost second. And you do not establish cost until you know the income. And you don't let your income... Get less than your expenses or vice versa. Now, in human race, we can divide up humanity in many different ways, but financially, there are people who are financial nerds and there are people who are financial hippies. If you are a financial nerd, you're someone who loves numbers. You want them to add up. you got the accounting, you're looking at the structure, you're working from a set of numbers. If you're a financial hippie, you don't need that. You just have gut instinct. You know how you feel. You know how you flow. You just do it as it feels. You have a bent towards one or the other. You may have both in you, most of us do, but you have a natural bent to one or the other. In most marriages... Most marriages have both of them in the marriage. That's why marriages can have so much conflict over money. One's a nerd, one's a hippie. If you are a financial nerd, please listen, sometimes you need to hippie it up. If you're a financial hippie, sometimes you gotta nerd it up for the sake of the marriage. It's not that one is wrong and one is right. It's how you are. But together, when Dallas and I first got married, she married me because she thought I had lots of money. <laughs> I, had two, I had two vehicles. I had a Thunderbird, brand-new Thunderbird, and I had a truck. And I just bought my mother a dishwasher for Christmas. Some people, when they get out of college and they promise to do great things, hit the big time for their mother to buy a house, I bought my mother a dishwasher. (laughs) And I did that because finally, I was a big boy, man, I could go to Sears and get a credit card. And I could get as much as I want on that credit card. So when Dallas marries me, guess what she had us do? She had us nerded up. Because financially, I was in the best of places when we got married. And so to nerd it up meant that she gave me an allowance of $5 a week. (laughs) And to get my next $5, I had to turn in receipts. Can you imagine going to a grocery grocery store? Hey, I want a 25-cent fountain drink. Uh, Could you give me a receipt? You need a receipt? Yeah, I got to be able to get my allowance for my wife next week. You felt like a nerd. (laughs) I felt like a nerd. But It worked. It helped get us more financially solid and stable where we needed to be. Now, when we started having kids, I became a little bit more of the nerd, and Dallas became a little bit more of the hippie because I said, okay, you get your allowance, that's that is your allowance, that's also your lunch money. If it runs out by the end of the week, you don't eat. My wife is putting extra money in their backpack because she didn't want them not to eat. She became the hippie a little bit more, and I was more nerdy. There's a balance. Church, all I'm saying is that in your relationship, you have got to figure this out of what it means for you as a household to live in a realistic budget. That's God's word for the people of God. So I may ask you, where are you? Are you devoted to this? Or, or do, if you're devoted, or do, do your self-evaluation, if you're devoted, you know your income, you know what your expenses are, you are always aware of the tug and pull between expenses, or, or do you do it part of the time, do you do it none of the time, Do you don't care, you just live to you're in trouble and you're drowning, are you dabbling, or are you devoted on this issue? I encourage you to take this home with you if you're married and talk with it, talk about it, talk about it, this issue in your relationship. Talk about it, not argue. Talk about it. Here's the second one, financial fit. Hey, John. Ma- here's what John Maxwell said a budget is. I love this he said, He said, a budget is telling your money where to go instead of wondering where it went. I love that definition of a budget. Here's number two, freedom from debt. This is huge. Debt is a crusher. Again, again, I know some of you so sophisticated. You know, pastor, I've made lots of money with debt. I know how to leverage debt. I have debt over here and it makes money over here. And then I go and I pay this off and I do that. And so I'm not talking to you. If that works for you, go so be it, okay? I am not a financial advisor. I'm not a debt counselor. I, I, I am a Bible teacher. And everything I read in the Bible, to most of us ordinary folks, Nothing in here good about debt. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 7. Let me see if I can find my way back to Proverbs. Proverbs 22, 7. It says, the rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is a slave or lives in bondage to the lender. Bondage and slavery, nothing good about either of those. Some of you right now know exactly what I'm talking about. Somebody online, you are zeroed in, and right now you're thinking, Pastor, I'd just rather you not talk about this, because just bringing it up, I feel shame. I feel guilt. I don't want to talk about it. I feel this self-reproach. I know, I know, I know, and I did it anyway. It happened again, and you just want to avoid it. You want to avoid the subject altogether, and you think it's going to go away. Can I please tell you something? Debt does not go away. The old adage that time heals all wounds. With debt, it just gets worse if you avoid it. So you avoid it. They start calling you. You get in trouble. You'll get a credit card to pay off the credit card you maxed out. And then you can't pay it off. So you avoid it. You don't want to think about it. You do nothing about it. Then the phone calls come. The phone calls come from the collection agency. And you're feeling the pressure. You stop answering the phone. You stop responding to letters. You get in the mail or emails or whatever. You start ignoring it. I came across this, this uh, in this research, I came across this, this attorney who was a tax collector. And here's his website, squeezebloodturnup.com. <laughs> when you get into death, that's what it's like when they start coming after you. If they're trying to squeeze blood, you, man, you're trying to squeeze blood out of a tournament. up Tur- because we live in a world That encourages you to go into debt. The two big words about money in our culture is more and now. You need more, and you need it now. You need more, and you need it now. You're not content, and you shouldn't be content, because you don't have more, and you don't have it now. More and now. More and now. Products just come at you. It's like products talked in the world. They say, buy me. Try me. Eat me, drink me, wear me, drive me, put me on your body, put me on your hair. And if you do that, then you will be content. And you and I buy into it. Let me tell you, the chasm between more and contentment, nobody has ever crossed it ever, and you will not either. In the scriptures over here, the Apostle Paul is mentoring a young man named Timothy. And he's kind of mentoring him in the area of finances. And here's what he says to him. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of the world. Contentment is a spiritual behavior. Here's contentment to know God and to love God to be known by God and to be loved by God, in that you can find contentment. But it's a learned behavior. If I was to ask you a question, who's more content? The person who has $10 million or the person who has 10 children, what do you think is the answer? The answer is with the 10 children, because the one with 10 children knows they don't want any more. Hey, be careful. Your kids may be in the room, okay? Don't be doing it. Be careful about laughing at that one, okay? But you get the concept. You would have bought into a lie, and people, lenders are happy to give you more. Let's say, buy now, pay later. You don't have to afford it. 90 days is as good as cash. Can I tell you what's as good as Cash. Cash is good as cash. 90 days is not the same as cash. 90 days is usually the same as debt because 88% of the people who sign up for cash in 90 days, in 90 days, they can't pay for it and they don't and they get hit with credit card debt that takes it off the wall. Church, don't be a sucker. There are two ways people say to contentment: is to have more and to be grateful for what you have. And the Bible says the first one is a sucker's game. You go to a monastery, and a monk greets you at the door. They take you into a little room, concrete little room. And they, on hospitality, they come to you, and they say, Just tell me, just tell me anything you need, anything that you want, and I will teach you how to do without it. Contentment is a learned behavior and a learned skill. Over in the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul teaches, let no debt remain outstanding except the debt of love. There's only one debt that's a good debt, and that's the debt of owing to love another human being. Lots of that debt. Lots and lots and lots, lots of the other debt. Get rid of it. Now, just a real quick thing about getting rid of debt as you're thinking about where you are on this little spectrum, on where you are on it. There's a thing called the snowball effect of debt. Dave Ramsey, Total Money Makeover, and he says this, you go home and you need to do this, you do this today, just write down all the little debts you have, write them all down, then you start paying off the little one, the little one first. He says, when you pay off the little one, you get a little shot shot of dopamine and Holy Spirit presence. You say, I can do this, and pretty soon you just walk through and you get them all paid off. But I encourage you to do that And if you need to do something here this morning, right here in this basket is a pair of scissors. And if you feel so convicted and compelled before you leave worship, you walk up here, you take out your credit cards, and you cut them up, and you leave him here on the altar. And you surrender that little urge you have to get yourself in financial trouble because that little card in your pocket. So what are you doing on that? Where are you? Where are you? Are you dabbling? Are you devoted? Do not go to McDonald's after worship or any fast food restaurant and use a credit card. You know what they found? People who use a, a credit card at a fast food restaurant spend 47% more than the person who spends cash. Because there's something about the brain that gets more free with the card than you do when you're actually paying with a debit card or cash. Here's the third one. Stay with me. Wise savings. The Bible talks about this in a very concrete way over here in Proverbs chapter 21, verse 20. It says, the wise store up choice food and olive oils. But fools, fools, they don't store it up. They just gulp it down the agricultural economy, so food and olive oil are resources. And it says wise people save, fools do not save. They just take it off. Wall Street Journal, 70% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. 70%, 70% of the people in this room have saved nothing. Paycheck to paycheck to paycheck to paycheck to paycheck. Don't have a budget, don't have a plan. And the Bible says you are setting yourself up for Armageddon because there's anything you can expect is the unexpected. Emergencies will happen. You will get old. You will go to the doctor. Things will stop working. Fools, the scriptures say. Do not plan and save. Now, I understand poverty. I understand systemic stuff in families where you inherited dysfunctional money practices in your life. And as I know that's another subject. It's hard to change those things. I know, I know, I know. But 70% is not okay of people not saving. It's not okay. And the Bible's very clear on it. There are some of you who have not saved anything. I know of a gentleman, you look at him, he's well off, uh, and lived in another part of the country. He was in real estate. He had a great house. He had, he had nice cars. He had nice vacations. He had a very luxurious lifestyle. He had incredible debt. And he would tell you it was his know-how and financial acumen that allowed him to have all this. And then all of a sudden, the market corrected where he lived, and he lost it all. I love that term, corrected, don't you? He just says, I I didn't make a bad mistake. The market corrected. I wish I could just say, no, my hair is not turning gray. It's just correcting. (laughs) You know, don't don't you wish we could use that word for other parts of our life? Oh, it's just correcting. He said, oh, the market just corrected. It wasn't me. The market just corrected. Blame the market. He lost his house. He lost the vacations. He lost a luxurious lifestyle, and he almost lost his wife because he hadn't saved a penny. They had nothing to fall back upon, nothing. Are you planning for your retirement right now? Are you? Are you? Are you? Have you saved anything at all for this future time in your life? I want to say something to the young people in the house. Almost every company now in the United States of America, not every, but almost, offers a matching investment in your retirement. You give, they'll match it. I got the number I want to make sure I get the number right. In the United States of America, uh, right now, there is 24 billion dollars of unclaimed money they want to give to you that people have not received, because they were late, not late, they were too lazy to sign up for it. Can I just say, "Stop being lazy? Ask for it. There's a passage right here. I think It's so important here that illustrates the importance of this. Proverbs chapter 27. It's just a very simple verse. It says, verse 23, be sure you know. Proverbs 23. Be sure you know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds. Be sure you know. Be sure you know how much you have in saving. Be sure you know how much you have in your kid's education account. Be sure you know how much it's going to cost, you think, to send your kids to school. Be sure you know what's in your retirement account. Be sure you know that your employer does or does not offer matching funds. Be sure you know. Just don't stick your head in the sand and hope. Be sure you know. Be sure you know. Be sure you know. And here's the last word I would say about this, but an important word for some of you in the house. is Proverbs chapter 13. My wife and I, Dallas, were talking about this this past week. Proverbs 13. It says, a good person, verse 22, leaves an inheritance for their children's children. In other words, we're talking about a will. 70% of Americans die without a will. And when you die without a will, You are setting your family up for hell with our legal system and the relationships between them. Please, if you love your kids and you love your grandkids, even if it's the most basic, basic, basic form, love them enough. Do not neglect this concept. If God provides you got extra, have a will. Just... Here's the last one. Here's the last one. Uh, generous giving. Generous giving. Generous giving. We're talking about a life of generosity. This is kind of a reality check for everyone. Psalm 24 1 says this The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Here's a reality check. You came into this world with nothing, you will leave this world with nothing. It's not yours. We hold on to it and think, it's mine, it's mine, it's mine, it's mine. No, it's not. (laughs) It is yours to use while you're here for your joy but for kingdom purposes. The scripture I would give to you, and it's in your notes there, just to kind of hang on to. And here's what it says. We're really talking here about the tithe, this this life of generosity. It says right here, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. A tithe is the first 10% of everything that comes into my life I give to God. And then Scripture says, test me in this. I've combed the Scriptures. There's no other command where God says, test me. Every other place God says, don't you test me. (laughs) Don't you test me. But here God says, it's like God saying, I dare you. I know how you want to hold on to it. I know how. I just dare you. I dare you. And see how I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Church, I will tell you, there are a lot of things Dallas and I and our marriage got wrong from the very beginning. But this is one thing that we got right. We drove a stake in the ground from the very beginning. We were going to give the first 10% of everything that comes into our hands. And even when I only made $1,000 a month when we first came here, and we had an $800 mortgage on a house out in Odessa with no tenants, we, and I'm going to seminary, and I have no idea how I'm going to pay, we gave 10% on the front end to the Lord's church and just trusted God for this. And I, I, cannot, I cannot explain it. But it was the best decision we ever made financially in our lives. And I'll tell you, it will be for you. But you've got to test and you've got to trust. It's an act of trust in your relationship with God. Not reluctantly. Joyfully. God doesn't want anyone to be reluctant. For God so loved the world. Love. He, because he loved. Because he loved. Not because, oh, I'm going to give him my son. Oh, my God, I guess I got to give my son. He gave it because he loved. And the Scripture says God loves a cheerful giver. So with joy in your heart. So how are you doing on this? I'm going to close out with a story here to kind of wrap this all up, maybe kind of encourage someone. And so here's, here's my story. He had a young couple about to get married. She had no debt. He had $50,000 worth of debt. He got convicted, I can't get married while I got all this debt, I just can't do it. It wouldn't be right to her, it wouldn't be right to our family. So he and God got right, he made a commitment to her, okay, we got I'm gonna do it. So he started tithing, he downsized, he moved in with some friends and cut his expenses. He started working extra jobs, he got a job busting tables at night to get more income coming, I mean, doing whatever it took. He just started growing and flourishing. He's in a small group, he's in a small group, both of them are, marriage prep kind of small group, and uh, being open and honest, like any good, healthy person who wants to recover, anyone who has any kind of addiction or issue they can't get past, he said, hey, I want to tell everybody, I got a, I got a problem with money, and I'm in trouble with debt, but I made a commitment to, to my wife-to-be and to God that I'm going to get out of this debt, and I want you to help hold me accountable, How I, and so he, he's talking openly about it. He's making progress, and boy, out of the blue, several weeks in, one of the small group members said, hey, listen, Bob, I want to tell you my wife and I, we want to give you and your wife to be five thousand dollars towards you. He said, Man, you cannot listen, it would be our joy. We really want to help you. So his his engaged betrothed was not there that small group, and so he told her, she just started crying. She'd been thanking God for giving her a man who was getting right with God, who understand money. And it was serious about giving his heart to God in this area, just, just thanking God for it. And God, help him, help him, help him. And she wrote down a number. She wrote down $10,000, just thinking that somehow God was going to help bring $10,000. And so. so she's telling him this. She's crying. I can't believe God is helping you. I just knew God would do this. But my, I guess I heard God wrong because I wrote down $10,000 and God did $5,000. Even then, I'm just so thankful, thankful, thankful. So they tell their group this, what's happening. And weeks later, Another person in the group his best friend comes to him and says Hey Bob my wife and I want to give you $5,000 toward your debt to let you know that I, we think it really was 10,000 that God wanted you to have not just you're doing all the work not just five He said you can't do that it's, it's not your debt it's my debt He said no no Bob Jesus paid your debt on the cross This is just money streaming down his face he took the money paid off his debt he and his wife get married debt free now let me ask you what do you think that young couple did getting married debt free right after they got married you think they went and bought the biggest house they could you think they went out and bought a brand new car big old boat you think they went and just increased their wardrobe went on this real wild honeymoon vacation over the top all this money you think you, you think they did that More, 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 more. Or do you think they just kept on tithing, going to church, being in their small group? When they heard about somebody else in their church about to get married, but they had debt, Bob goes and he knocks on the door. He said, listen, we just want to give you this to tell you that God loves you. More than you know, God loves you. Tears coming down his face. He gives them. We want to help you get out of debt too. Church, there's a freedom and there's a joy. I cannot explain when you surrender this area of your life. If you need more help with this, we have two classes coming up we're going to put them on the screen right here you pick the class, you can, you can go online, you can find out about it can you put that slide up there, I think we have a slide it's going to have a, a money matters and financial piece. if you need help to really get out of this, I just want to encourage you to take that next step don't live in financial hell, you don't have to but you got to work the plan I want to invite you just to kind to Take a place here and be your prayer, and I want to say thanks to everyone in this church who's so generous and so faithful. You well, know, the one more is it's, it's it's because of your faithfulness and God's faithfulness because of your generosity. I want to say thank you, but I just want you to get still. There's some area here that you need to surrender. You need to get right with God on. Try staking the ground. Just just take a moment before you leave. To I surrender I surrender all Your worry, your anxiety Your fretting I surrender I surrender all I surrender my finances, my money, my future, God My, My whole financial future, I surrender to you Oh, I surrender about my kids and their education and their future. God, do they get it right? God, surrender that to you. I surrender I surrender all I surrender my way of doing money my way to your way I got my very best, God. You got all of me. And everything and nothing less My best, my all Mm -hmm. You deserve my every breath My life, my song in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you would like more information on Pathway or to get connected to a ministry, visit our website at pathway.church. We look forward to growing with you as we worship together. God loves you. God is with you.